Before we get rolling with episode 62, a word from our friends at Keeneland Select. Keeneland Select is offering a lucrative promotion for new signups this month. Sign up for a new account with Keeneland Select and receive a special $100 back after you wager $200 on Keeneland Racing this April. This is on top of Keeneland Select's already lucrative sign-up bonus that will earn you $100 after you wager $300 within the first 30 days. You can watch Keeneland's racing from any location and bet directly from your phone with Keeneland Select. Sign up today. Tell your friends. KeenelandSelect.com. Use the promo code ITM21. Again, that is KeenelandSelect.com. Promo code ITM21. What's going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, April the 19th, 2021. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. This would be episode 62 of the pod. If you're somebody who listens to the audio version only, you have many places to find the podcast. Apple Podcasts. Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. Speaking of InTheMoneyPodcast.com, don't be afraid to head on over there and sign up for the free In The Money newsletter. It's a great time to be doing that. Again, it's free. You don't have to pay for anything, but it keeps you abreast of all the content that is being produced as we get closer and closer to the first Saturday in May. We're just, I mean, boy, by the time many of you listen to this, we'll be within 10 or 11 days of the Kentucky Derby. So uh, now is the time. Head on over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com and sign up for that free newsletter so that way you are notified anytime new content is being produced. Speaking of being notified anytime new content is produced or uploaded, uh, if you watch this pod over on YouTube, first things first, search Bar Matt Bernier Show. You get this episode along with the 61 prior. Make sure the bell icon is lit up on that channel. Because that way you get notified anytime new content has been uploaded by In The Money Media. Uh, Please also rate, review, and subscribe however you listen to any of these things. As far as this week's show is concerned, uh, we're just going to do a very brief open here and then quickly get into what I will call uh, from now on, as long as we're lucky enough to have him come on as a guest, a conversation with Illman. Dan Illman from the Daily Racing Forum comes aboard. We, we chop up everything about the Derby. We talk a little bit about the Oaks, talk a little bit about baseball at the end. Um, it's about a 45-minute piece, so looking forward to it. And it's always nice to get Dan's opinion, not just because he's my friend, but also I, I think he is as good as anyone in the entire industry uh, as far as identifying things, whether it's watching tape, form cycles, patterns, things like that. So uh, a conversation with Illman. On this week's show, talking a majority about the Kentucky Derby. Uh, but we'll start, though, with two brief pieces. Uh, one about a race, the Apple Blossom. One about the jockey change with Rock Your World. Let's start with the Apple Blossom. Unbelievable horse race. That's all you could ever ask for in a giant, giant race. On the biggest stage. Million dollar purse. Grade one. And no, it wasn't Monomoy Girl and Swiss Skydiver that put on the show. It ended up being Monomoy Girl... And Latruska, and Latruska ends up prevailing in a, just a thrilling stretch drive. A couple things. I've, I've seen many people saying, you know, rides are the reason that the race played out the way that it did. I don't, I personally don't believe that as far as the win end was concerned with the two horses, the two fillies and mares that were involved in it. Latruska and Erat Ortiz and Monomoy Girl and Florent Giroux. I don't believe that the ride on either of those horses directly was the reason that perhaps one or the other did or didn't win. 
Uh, I know a lot of people have been saying that a rad was the reason that Latruska won. I'm not taking anything away from the ride, but I don't believe specifically that's why she won. And a lot of people are blaming Florent Giroux for the loss from Montemoy Girl. I don't believe that either. I think if you ran the race 10 more times, I would want every time Montemoy Girl to be out in the clear. I don't care if she's carrying a little extra ground. She's a champion. She's supposed to be able to go and get the job done. Conversely, with Irad, I thought he rode her perfectly, Latruska, in the idea that speed is our asset. We're going to go. The biggest thing that he did, I think, to win that race or help win that race, and when I say help win the race, by default eliminating one of the two horses that he had to beat. And when I say eliminating her, it's not that there was any, you know, she didn't have to check or anything. But I thought just the way he rode Latruska, I, I think for whatever reason, it ended up creating a less than stellar ride from Robbie Alvarado on Swiss Skydiver. Now, Swiss Skydiver, she broke like a shot. And the opening quarter, I don't believe was that fast, 23 and 2, 23 and 3 for Phillies and Mares of this caliber, well within them. I thought he should have just gone on with it. Make make Irad and Latruska make a decision. Instead, he takes back, not really a, a steady rounding the first turn, but you know, in in behind horses. Meanwhile, Monomoy Girl is in the per, uh, perched out in the clears, loving life. But Irad did something very similar. If you go back and watch the tape of the Kentucky Oaks, I thought I was watching a, a carbon copy. Irad on Latruska did what John Velasquez and Gamin kind of did in the Kentucky Oaks, in that they left sort of the inside path or two open. And Robbie Alvarado this time around was on Swiss Skydiver. In the Oaks, it was Tyler Gaffleone. Kind of, I don't want to say suckered him in, but, you know, left that open just enough to make you think about it. Had they just gone on with it with her early on, make Latruska make a decision, are we going to sit or are we going to keep going on with it, then I think you may have a different scenario and maybe Swiss Skydiver has a better opportunity to be involved. Now, having said all this, she was nowhere at the end. She was, if I had to guess, a handful of lengths back of the top two. So when I'm talking about the riders and who did what in relation to the result of the Apple Blossom, to me, I don't think Flo did anything wrong. I don't think Arad did anything, you know, otherworldly. I will say it was a, a very, very good ride. But I expect that from Arad Ortiz. I'm not going to sit here and, and just, you know, wax poetic about that sort of thing. I think the ride from Robbie Alvarado, eh, a little bit subpar, a little suspect. But, again, everybody has a bad bad ride, bad day, not the end of the world. Swiss Guy never had a bad day. She clearly didn't have her A game. As far as Monomoy Girl not winning, I, I don't believe that had anything to do with, oh, looking for... Swiss skydiver and where she was going to be. I thought I thought she was ridden the way she was supposed to be ridden, and she just got beat. Latruska, got to give credit to Fausto Gutierrez and company. I mean, that, this was a, a situation where you had a horse who I thought, in my heart of hearts, was a notch below, despite the fact that she was on a tear and she had been running really good races and earning fast speed figures. In my heart of hearts, I thought she was a notch below the top two. And for her to show that kind of heart, to come back on Monomoy Girl and defeat her after Monomoy Girl put what I thought was probably pretty close to a half length, if not three quarters on her, that to me speaks volumes. That was a really impressive performance and a hell of a horse race. So, you know, what do you want to do with these fillies and mares going forward? I think you just kind of continue on whatever path they were supposed to go on or the plan was. I all of a sudden, I would be disappointed if this result, and I said it last week in the Horse Player Happy Hour, 
I would be disappointed, even with a loss, which ended up being the case on Saturday. If Mono Girl ran well, I still want to see her against the boys. Just because she lost to Latruska doesn't all of a sudden mean that I don't think she's capable of beating the boys. I want to see her in sort of a one-turn mile, one-turn seven-eighths kind of race, whatever it may be. Point is, I still want to see her against the boys. Because this loss to me doesn't, she doesn't lose anything in defeat. There's very little that she would lose at any point going forward if she were to lose. I just want to see, and if she can't beat the boys, so be it. But I want to see it. As far as Latruska goes, now you start plotting accordingly and you think Breeders' Cup Distaff is within is not out of the realm of possibility. I'd also be lying if I said this didn't get me a little excited for my girl, She Dares the Devil, who defeated Latruska. Um, I, I think there's a I think there's a big season on deck for a horse like She Dares the Devil. That's just my opinion. Um, I think she figures in this Philly and Mare division along with a Latruska. Uh, and I'm not ready to write off Swiss Skydiver. One one less than stellar effort does not mean that she cannot run. Simply put. So those are my thoughts on the Apple Blossom. Let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. And as far as the whole jockey situation with uh, Umberto Rispoli being taken off of Rock Your World for John Sadler in favor of Joel Rosario, you know, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate for Rispoli. But at the same time, given the history that Sadler and Rosario have, I'm not. I'm not stunned by it. Am I? I'm certainly not outright raged by it. It's not. It's. It's a business decision. The. The. The connections thought that their best opportunity to win, or their best chance to win the Kentucky Derby, was with Joel Rosario. I'm not going to sit here and, and say one way or the other if I agree with that or disagree with that. Given their history and the success that they've had, I understand. Feel bad for Humberto, but I'm sure again if he continues riding to this level, he will have other opportunities to be riding top flight horses leading into the Kentucky Derby. So uh, it is what it is. I mean, it's a business decision. You see it happen in, in different sports all the time. Just, I don't know that. And again, this is coming from someone who, I hate to say this, jockey, for the most part, eh, doesn't doesn't mean a matter a great deal to me. Some are certainly better than others, don't get me wrong. But as far as betting is concerned, no. I mean, I, I think it's the most overvalued piece that there is, that who, who is riding who. Um, you know, all of a sudden, does, does Rock Your World have a better chance of winning with Joel Rosario than had he had Umberto Rispoli? I doubt it. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't think that's the case. Um, doesn't hurt, but I don't think it helps. I mean, at this point, you're talking about two of the best riders that we have in, in the country. So that's just my two cents on that. But I know enough people had been discussing it over the weekend, so I figured I would chime in anyway. So... Without further ado, here we go. Conversation with Illman, Dan Illman from the Daily Racing Forum, talking about Derby, talking a little bit about the Oaks, talking a little bit about baseball, a little bit of everything. Conversations with Illman. Here you go. Back by popular demand from the Daily Racing Forum, Dan Illman. Illman, thank you for coming back, giving us a little bit of time. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's always good to be able to chop up all racing with you, but especially this time of year. I feel like this is... I mean, it is. It's it's the time that everybody gets all excited about. Whether you or I, we have our opinions about the Derby and twenty horses, this, that, and the other thing. But it is it is the marquee event in the United States. I love the Breeders' Cup, but I mean, people I think come out of the woodwork for the Derby. And here we are. We've got, I believe, twelve days, roughly thereabouts, uh, maybe a little bit more than that, until the first Saturday in May. 
from the time we chatted six, seven weeks ago to now, things have changed pretty dramatically. I think it's safe to say the best horse has been sidelined and life is good. Uh, the most talented horse, anyway. Now, with him gone, outside of essential quality, it feels like you've, you've had a, a decent amount of fluctuation over the past few weeks. Um, let's start with essential quality. I mean, what did you think overall of the bluegrass, and where do you think he stacks up leading into the Derby? Well, he's the deserving favorite, and he's probably fair odds on uh, the first Saturday in May. It's two to one, and that being said, it's not like he has a speed figure edge over anyone in this field. He's not the fastest horse coming in, but all he does is win. All he does is show up. He has a win at Churchill Downs. He brings an upward buyer progression from race to race to race, and as for his bluegrass, he did what he had to do. His tactical speed gives him a great advantage over members of his other members of his crop because he can get close to the pace. Highly motivated, was obviously cranked for that race. Essential quality probably wanted the bluegrass distance more than highly motivated, probably is a better horse than highly motivated. And he got it done in more workmanlike fashion than I think a lot of people wanted to see. But you don't want to squeeze the lemon dry before the Derby. There's lots to like about this horse, perhaps except the price on Derby Day. Now, you brought up he's going to be the favorite. He deserves to be the favorite based on everything he's done. He's never lost. But to your point about the speed figure situation, at what point for you does that become sort of the, the breaking point? Well, yes, I do trust you. I think you, you're a champion. You deserve to be the favorite. At what point, and not just for the Derby, I just think in general, at what point do you have to look at it and say, but you don't really have that much of an edge, if any edge, on the remainder of the field? Well, that's when you look at the tote board. Uh, and I think if he, if people go overboard on him in the Derby, I don't think they will. I think there are a lot of people that doubt essential quality going into this Kentucky Derby. It's not like he's going to be eight to five or nine to five. I think you have to ask yourself, are you willing to take two to one on arguably the best and most consistent horse in the race? And if you don't want to, well, then yes, the fact that he is not the fastest horse in this race, it gives you cause for pause and it gives you an opportunity to look elsewhere because there are some other upwardly mobile, interesting horses in this field. Let's talk about the, based on buyer speed figures anyway, the fastest horse going into the race. Let's rock your world for John Sadler. Now we're going to have Joel Rosario listed as the rider for the Derby. Um, Whatever happened to loyalty? Well, well, that's another story for another day. Ask, you got to ask round about that. <laughs> the, the thing for me is, and I don't know where you land on this. I, I didn't love him going into the Santa Anita Derby simply because I, I thought there were other more interesting horses. If I'm just being honest, I, I thought he was fine. I, I didn't think his two turf races were anything that blew me away. I thought he was good. I thought he was a little bit green and goofy with lead changes he was still a little bit green and goofy with the lead changes in the Santa Anita Derby. The problem is he just ran everyone else off their feet. And I was taken by the gallop out. It looked like he could have gone around again. I, I, I'm having a difficult time deciding what I want to do with a horse like this simply because, again, he is the fastest just based on purely on speed figures. He looks like he'll run all day. And now you have a couple of defections from the Derby. He's probably going to be forwardly placed in a race that may not have a, an electric pace scenario. He makes a lot of sense, but why am I still not totally convinced? I think because the fields in Southern California minus life is good, I believe, have been subpar at best. No disrespect to Medina Spirit, a very, very nice and consistent horse. He is no world beater. And if you take him out of the equation, who's really out there in Southern California, especially after Concert Tour bombed in the Arkansas Derby and is off the Kentucky Derby Trail? So rock your world, I think there were just 
situations that just opened up for him in the Santa Anita Derby. He caught the right field. He ran great. You're absolutely right about his distance ability. He is bred to run all day long. I would be wanting to see it again at a fairly depressed price on Kentucky Derby. I think this horse is going to take money. And I think you mentioned the pace. If Caddo River runs in this race, how does that affect the situation with Rock Your World? I think your Rock Your World can sit off of another horse, but if they go blazing fast, I'm not sure I want to take him again. Yes, he's coming in with the fastest race. I want to see it again. Are we kind of... In a weird way, because he's going to have three. Is Todd Pletcher kind of sliding under the radar a little bit, specifically talking about known agenda? I mean, I think part of it is because races like the Florida Derby and the Louisiana Derby feel like they were a million years ago when they were actually only a few weeks ago. But uh, known agenda is the sort of horse who I was dubious of because I didn't think he really had it all together from a mental standpoint. And then you see the two races that he has run with the blinkers on. To me, he looks like an entirely different animal. Yes, he's a little bit slow, but for all the reasons we've sort of laid out with some of these other horses, distance shouldn't be the issue for him. Seems like he's trending the right direction. I mean, is known agenda the kind of horse that maybe slides under the radar and maybe you get a better price than you should get on him? I, I think he is, and I think you're absolutely right in that Pletcher found out uh, what to do with the quirky horse. This was a horse who early on didn't seem to have a lot of early speed. We knew he had the ability. I mean, he beat greatest honor and only his second lifetime start going a mile and an eighth as a two-year-old. We knew he had ability. He just didn't seem to have speed. He would run in spots in his races. And then all of a sudden the blinkers came on and Todd wisely dropped him into that now winners of one other then. And he got him the big confidence boost, which propelled him to the Florida Derby win. Now the Florida Derby, again, the favorite in that race, underperformed. He's off the Derby trail. And what was there in South Florida beyond greatest honor, beyond known agenda? He wasn't facing the strongest fields. He's going to be facing a good field, obviously, in the Kentucky Derby. But I agree. This horse is trending the right way. I think he has the right running style now. The blinkers have sort of made him more tactical. He's a very interesting horse for Pletcher, and I do think he is flying under the radar. I think he put that very well. Isn't it interesting that that Todd, for the longest time, you know, sort of the narrative was two starts and then the derby. You know, you don't want to have too many races into him. With many of his best three-year-olds over the past few years, they've gone through an allowance race. That You know, you've had those instances where whether they weren't ready for the graded stakes race or maybe they underperformed and then they wanted to get that confidence boost into them. You know, obviously the, 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 the clear one that we're talking about is always dreaming in that run out at Tampa Bay Downs. I mean, it, it's just become a fascinating thing for me because, again, I right, wrong, or indifferent. It was always one of those things where, you know, with Todd, there's always going to be one, maybe two, and then we get ready for the Derby. Now there's more, I think, more of a willingness to run in some of those other spots. And I think it shows a confidence in the horse because when you run in an allowance race, you're foregoing a points race, a valuable points race. It's almost as if Todd knows this horse has the ability when I eventually do run him in a points race to get the points needed to get into the Kentucky Derby. So I'm willing to run him or skip a points race in order to get that confidence boost, in order to get him to the race. Maybe it's a sign that he has a lot of confidence in his horse. And I think we saw that with Baffert and Justify running him in an allowance race and then looking for that one shot to get into the Derby with a points race. 
Uh, these trainers know the talent uh, of their horses. Uh, sometimes you just got to figure them out. And I think Todd's very good at doing that with these horses. Yeah, and he was quoted even comparing this horse to Vino Rosso. And I know you and I, you know, I was still down there in New York when Vino Rosso was on that three-year-old path. And I think we all thought there was always something there. He just ran in spots. He never put it together until he became an older horse and obviously went on to win the Breeders' Cup Classic. Maybe known agenda can win the big one for Todd. If it's not this horse for Pletcher, I mean, what do you make of the the aqueduct stuff? What do you make of the wood? Because it was just, it was a fascinating result. Uh, I I said it to my wife when I got home. I said, Todd Pletcher, if if I had told you a three-year-old Kentucky Derby prep was going to be won by Todd Pletcher, the runner-up would be a Todd Pletcher trainee, but the exact, it would pay $900. What would you have said? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't happen. Uh, What do you want to make of a race like the wood? I want to make a race like the wood that it seemed like it was a pace collapse and I have a lot of problems believing the result of the race and okay Bourbonic is a very well-bred son of Bernardini and he's supposed to run all day long it just seemed like they were stopping in front of him that crowded trade you want to talk about a horse that hasn't figured it out yet that might have a little bit of hang in him that might have some talent down the road but you know, he had his opportunity yet again and couldn't finish it off. Dynamic one was a horse that was coming into the race for Pletcher. And, you know, you had a feeling maybe he would improve, but not to that extent. I don't know. That race got an 89 buyer speed figure. I don't uh, really think that the horses coming out of the wood are going to make a dent in the Kentucky Derby unless there's just a, a tremendous pace meltdown. We talk a little bit about that being an underwhelming result. What do you make of the Arkansas Derby where Concert Tour and Cotto River, now maybe I'm being a little bit harsh to the top two, but I thought that's how the race would play out, and I thought it would basically just be that two-speed number where they were going to go the entire way. And instead of horse and super stock, who maybe I didn't give enough credit, and maybe I'm still not giving enough credit, thought he had the run of the race and was able to run them down. But if those two were what I thought they were, I thought they're supposed to go on and finish the deal. I think most people thought that way as well. And you looked at the Rebel and you thought that might have been the most impressive from a visual standpoint race that we had seen going into the prep. And that's why we were all excited to see Concert Tour run in the Arkansas Derby. And he didn't run well at all. And Cattle River ran a lot better, obviously, than he did in the Rebel. Let's give Superstock some credit, however. Steve Asmussen had him ready to go second off the layoff. It's a, a nicely bred horse. He earned a 92 buyer speed figure. He seems to be trending the right way. He runs well at Churchill Downs. This is the kind of horse to me that you want to watch the workouts leading up. And if all of a sudden we see this horse just blossoming in the mornings leading up to the race, he's a horse you could give extra consideration to. In the situation that we saw with Known Agenda and the situation that we've seen with, uh, with Superstock, we're seeing a situation where a big favorite underperforms. So all of a sudden, are we, are we saying the heir apparent was the horse that beat him, a horse that's the now horse? Or was the race just not very good? And that's something that I think horse players have to figure out when playing their derby uh, selections. And, you know, we talked about that Florida Derby with known agenda and greatest honor. And it feels like it was a million years ago. A race that was even prior to that was Louisiana Derby. And I'm I'm probably guilty of this. You know my sort of philosophy. By now, I, I kind of know what my opinions are going to be. There's really going to be very little that will make me get off a horse or be more intrigued to, to make a move. Uh, the, the Louisiana path, it's been well-documented. It, it hasn't been the strongest path. But when you do go through, if you're a speed figure player, you know, Hot Rod Charlie has run one of the fastest races as a three-year-old here. He earned a 99 winning that race. The race was at a mile and three sixteenths. So he has basically run the fastest at the longest distance thus far. 
Uh, obviously, Sans the 100 from Rock Your World, but that was at a mile and an eighth. I still, I want to believe, and I'm probably going to find out one way or the other two Saturdays from now, not this coming Saturday, the following Saturday, if the Louisiana path was actually less than or if it actually ends up being okay because those are the horses I'm most interested in, right, wrong, or indifferent. I understand anyone that looks at those races kind of with a little bit of side eye and a bit of trepidation, but based on outside of essential quality and a wild card, let's call Rock Your World, I just look at those Louisiana horses and say they've run relatively fast. Many of them have got the breeding for a mile and a quarter. And I'm going to get prices on almost all of them. I, I want to at least give them a look. Am I crazy or is there something to that? No, uh, I think you're absolutely right because they have the fast race in the Louisiana Derby. And the winner of the Louisiana Derby is a very likable horse, Hot Rod Charlie. My one concern about the races in Louisiana, all three of the prep races just seem to be dominated up front. There was no closing going on in any of those races, and that concerns me. I think Hot Rod Charlie had the run of the race in the Louisiana Derby. Uh, I think that Midnight Bourbon had the run of several races in the Louisiana Derby and the Risen Star, and of course, when he wired them in the LeCompte. Mandaloon is a horse that I think handicappers have forgotten about because the Louisiana Derby has happened so far ago, and because he underperformed and underwhelmed as the favorite, and because his stablemate is the two-year-old champion that's going to get all of the attention. If Mandaloon won the Louisiana Derby, he would be coming into this race red hot, and he would be one of the favorites. And instead, for one reason or another, he did not fire in the Louisiana Derby, and now all of a sudden he has a big price. You take the number he earned in the Risen Star two starts back, and you tell me he can't move forward off that race, he's right there. And, and look, I mean, that's that's pro- that's where I'm going to land. I'm going to end up picking Mandaloon in the race for the reasons you just laid out. Now, you and I are both in agreement with this sort of thing and the idea of, I don't like to see a bad race leading into yes. your biggest race. And I'm even more concerned when I hear Brad Cox say, I, I don't really have a, a reasoning for it. I almost would have rather found out there was something a little bit off and he wasn't feeling great. I tried to cook up the theory that he just didn't get out of the gate all that well. It looked like maybe the ground let loose from beneath him. But I'm drawn at straws. I mean, how forgiving can I be or anybody else in my position? I like the horse. I see nothing wrong other than the fact that his biggest race to date was a complete non-effort. At 15 to 1, you can be forgiving. At 12 to 1, you can be forgiving. And you talk about your odds line all the time. And again, I would urge everyone watching your show every week to at least gain practice making their own personal odds line looking for overlays. What do you feel Mandaloon will be or should be at post time? And if he's over that, you can play him and you can forgive the last race. Generally, it's not been a good angle. You have a bad race leading up to the Kentucky Derby. You want to see a horse running the well and running in excellent form. Mandaloon is not in excellent form if you just look at that last race. The fact that there's no excuse, it's probably not a good thing. But the fact that Brad Cox is just storming right onto the Kentucky Derby with belief in this horse, I think is a good thing because he's saying, I ran a 98 buyer. That's faster than anything essential quality has ever run in his life. So his race in the Risen Star would be more than good enough to put him in the picture uh, personally, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with him yet on Derby Day because I just have to go back and watch that Louisiana Derby again and again and again and again and try to find something there. But he might be the overlay in the race. 
it, it's just it's it was such a puzzling performance because to be honest, I wasn't a believer in the horse prior to the Risen Star, and then the way that he moved that day, I get it. There wasn't a ton of of passing going on in any of those races, to your point. But I just like the way that he just sidled up and went by, and he looks like that kind of horse that longer will be better for him. And then he shows up in Louisiana Derby, and again, I mean, for it's been well documented. It's hard to find any real excuse for why he ran so poorly that day. Seems like he's back to training well and he's feeling good. And to your point, and I'm I'm putting faith in, I don't want to say it would be one thing if it were connections that no one had ever heard of. It's Brad Cox. I understand it's Judmont. But for him to be pushing on, I, I have to take that as a sign of confidence. Or, or I mean, at the very least, you wouldn't run this horse back if you thought there was something seriously wrong. For you to continue on and push on to the biggest race that any of these horses will ever compete in, I have to view that as, as a sign of confidence. You're absolutely right about that. And again, this horse did win at Churchill Downs as a two-year-old. The question for me is, does this horse need an absolute perfect trip to win? Yeah. Because he kind of got that in the Risen Star where he sat off the proxy in Midnight Bourbon. And he's probably better than those two horses on their best, uh, when on his best day. In the Lecompte, he didn't get the perfect trip. Midnight Bourbon did, and he wasn't able to overcome the advantage. And he didn't get the perfect trip that both Hot Rod Charlie and Midnight Bourbon did from a race flow standpoint last time out, and he backed up. Uh, I think that's what we need to find out with Mandaloon. Similar situation with Superstock. The workouts right now are very promising for Mandaloon. The next workout's going to be key for horses like Mandaloon and Superstock because those are horses, again, as you say, flying under the radar that could be good value. You know, we kind of going full circle back to that bluegrass with essential quality, and we, we mentioned Chad's horse in there. Now, I, maybe I'm being too sort of stuck in my ways, but when I see him, I see Practical Joke. I, I don't know that I look at highly motivated and think he is a classic distance type of horse. And the way that I've tried to lay it out to folks who listen or watch, I feel like he had everything he could possibly need to go right, go right in the bluegrass, and he still couldn't get it done. And I get it. It's the two-year-old champion. He's undefeated. There's no shame in losing to a horse like Essential Quality. I just think with more speed in a race like the Derby and at a mile and a quarter, you're dealing with an extra eighth of a mile. I, to me, anyway, I feel like there are too many obstacles for this horse to overcome. If I'm not sold on his ability at the distance, for me, he's just an entire throwout. And it's not because I don't believe in the ability. It's just I don't think this is a recipe for success for him. Is that being too too unkind? Yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. I think it was a, a perfect situation for him in the bluegrass where he was able to get to the lead and he backed down the fractions. And if he was going to get a mile and an eighth uh, against a really good horse who was going to be there, and he flops back to his left lead at the end, which to me I thought is a sign of fatigue. And maybe you and I were always criticized by everybody saying we put too much stock in lead changes. <laughs> I think it's very important, especially when you're preparing for a mile and a quarter race. I do think he has a lot of talent. I do think he's a cutback candidate for the second half of the year. Uh, I don't know. If he couldn't beat essential quality in that race where he had everything going his own way, how is he going to do it in the Derby? Are all of a sudden they're just going to, to change styles with him and try to make him a mid-pack runner? I'm not sure he's the best closer in the race. So there are a lot of things, I think, going against this horse, number one being distance. With just a couple other names to throw out there, knowing that this this Derby top 20 has been in great sort of variance over the past week or so with defections and horses who all of a sudden draw in. Um, just overall thoughts on a couple of names. Uh, Helium, a horse who won the Tampa Bay Derby seemingly uh, with an impossible trip, and it was the thing that I was 
that I couldn't figure out. I get it. It's a slow race, and you know the old racing adage: there are no such thing as trips in slow races. He ran a mile and a quarter in a mile and a sixteenth race. I don't. I'm not suggesting he's good enough to win. Do you give him any kind of a hope to potentially run third or fourth, given that he basically did run a mile and a quarter already today? Look, it was a remarkable race simply because of the ground that he lost. I think the Tampa Bay uh, route, uh, and and I'm sounding like a broken record. The Gulfstream route's not good. The Santa Anita route's not good. The Aqueduct route's not good. <laughs> well, the uh, the Northern Florida, yeah. uh, not good. Uh, it wasn't very good. Uh, but helium did run very well. Uh, I think that the heliums and the hidden stashes, uh, they're full of hot air. I like that. That's good. Uh, soup and sandwich. What do you do with a horse like this? Because I'd be lying if I said I wasn't very intrigued by him. But, again, going back to you and I talking about lead changes and when I just watched the way that this horse runs, my goodness, this is a lot to ask of this horse. I think he is. Uh, I, I think I'm being kind by saying he's a work in progress. I think he's a work in progress. He obviously has talent, and we saw that in the Florida Derby when he made the lead. And again, though, and that was a situation where he was no match for known agenda. You mentioned his lead changes. Personally, I believe this is a case of too much too soon. And as far as a horse like Sainthood, now, he's one that I really do fancy. Now, I don't think he's a Derby contender if they do choose to go here. I know that the connections had talked about maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. But coming out of that Jeff Ruby stakes, and I get it, you know, a bit of an interesting run. It's synthetic. What do you really want to do with it? I like the fact that he is an inexperienced horse who is seemingly bred for anything. He's another Todd Pletcher horse. And I don't know if he's the kind that this is the right move, or do you wait knowing that he's by M. Shawish and he's got a turf pedigree on the bottom? You know, you, you can basically do a little bit of anything with a horse like St. Hood. If they go to the Derby... Is it very similar to what we just talked about with soup and sandwich? Too much too soon? I don't think it's too much too soon in this situation because I think Sainthood is the kind of horse with a lot of upside. Uh, soup and sandwich has upside, but he's still very green. I think Sainthood is not green. And we saw him in the Jeff Ruby stakes. That trip didn't exactly work out for him. He showed that he could run on dirt. Uh, I think that the figs are going to get there eventually, and I'm not worried about distance. Uh, he's an interesting price horse that I could throw in maybe on the very bottom of my superfected tickets. And I have to be honest with you, there's some crazy horse I'm looking at, and I'm not sure I'm courageous enough to pick him on top. If Obesos gets into this race, I'm sort of interested in trying to get him into the super because we talked about how the pace held up in most of the races down in Louisiana. And this is a horse that came from out of it in the Risen Star, and he got a piece. And he came from out of it in the Louisiana Derby. And he got a good closer's trip in the Louisiana Derby. I mean, he saved ground every step of the way. But he was running on at the end of the race. He's by orb. He has the pedigree. He has the mile and 316th race. And most importantly, he's going to be 35 to 1 on Derby Day in a race that should set up for a closer. Could not agree more. I mean, when I watched that Louisiana Derby back, I said if he can get in, which it seemed very unlikely at that point that he would be able to get in. But now with all these horses going by the wayside, he is right now currently 20th on the list, so he would be in. He just looks like that prime candidate for third or fourth at 30-1 to one if you're playing a try or a superfecta or something like that. I'm not convinced he's necessarily good enough to win, but, boy, he, he feels like as good a candidate as anyone to run underneath if you're playing any of those bigger exact uh, exotic wagers, I should say, and really spice some things up. You know, we've basically gone through this field just in, in brief passing and whatnot. 
I, most likely scenario, safe to say, essential quality continues to show his, I don't want to say superiority, but just it, it, the heart of a champion. Is it what champions are made of? I, I, I think that he's the most likely winner of the race, and I know I'm not alone in that opinion. That's a moto master of the obvious opinion, because again, if he breaks from the gate and he gets a good post position, he's likely to find himself in an excellent position probably in the second flight off of the leaders, and he's going to be in with a big chance at the 516th pole. If someone jumps up with a big race, they can beat essential quality. If he doesn't jump up with a big race, he's just the most consistent, he's the most tactical, he's the most professional, and he's the most accomplished. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to go on Derby Day. I'm kind of leaning towards him because I'm a chalk-eating weasel, and because I'm not exactly sold on some of the other big fast horses in this race rock your world i need to see it again a uh, hot rod charlie he got the run of the race last time out and it might not be as easy this time around and a couple of the others just don't do it for me so essential quality to me he's the horse to beat i'm interested in, in your take on one horse that might not get into the race okay we'll do it very quickly because i know you you know you have time for no train. please you're a very busy man please get her number was a grade one winner as a two-year-old he was going to run in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He came down with some injury. Uh, they ran him in the Rebel against Concert Tour. Talk about a tough spot for his first race off an injury-induced layoff. He ran a little better last time out in the Arkansas Derby. Don't know why he had front wraps on that day. Don't know if I like that or not. But if he does run in the Derby for Peter Miller, it'll be his third start back. And you would think he finally will be fit and primed and ready to go. My thought with him, and, and again, maybe this is being unkind to his dirt accomplishments or, you know, he has reasons for sort of less than performances in a couple of these runs. And you're right. He was coming on at the end of that most recent start. Um, I, I, I want to back on grass. Um, I, I thought those first two starts were really promising for a horse to be able to go from five furlongs out to a mile in the second lifetime start and show the ability going five eighths to sit just off. And I get it. Maybe he just took over from a horse that completely spit the bit. But I like the, the idea that, again, you know, we talk about it all the time with, with these turf milers specifically. And I get it if they want to try. I'm thinking of a race like the American turf on the Derby undercard. I believe it's a mile and a 16th. With these horses at that sort of distance, the ones who have been the absolute world beaters over the past 10, 15 years are the ones who have the ability to be close to the pace and still have a little bit of finish in them where those horses come from 100 out of it. Sure, they're going to kick like a mule, but they've got to make up 10 lengths. And if you've still got a little something left in the tank and you have that tactical ability, you're going to always have the upper hand. I think of the Teppins, the Wise Dans of the world, yep. these types. I, I just, I do wonder about a horse like this. I would love to see... Maybe right now, do you go back to the turf? Let's say you run well enough or whatever the case may be. And then whether it's the summer, you point toward the Jim Dandy. You want to take a shot back on the dirt. If you want to look out in Southern California, I know, uh, I assume they still have the shared belief, you know, which is a nice three-year-old restricted race. Maybe you go that route. I don't want to sit here and say he can't run on dirt because he's run very, very well. He's a grade one winner on dirt. But I'm, I, I, right now, I'm more interested in seeing if we can get him back on grass to then kind of go on from there. And honestly, there are so many horses in this year's crop that either I think they're doing something too soon or they're not actually doing what they want to do or any of these sort of things. I mean, I look at Dream Shake. More and more, I, I watch the races. More and more, I just think he's a one-turn horse. I just feel like, I get it, he's run against good horses in Southern California, but 
the finish just doesn't seem like it's there to me anyway. It seems like he levels off. You get him back to a one-turn mile or seven-eighths of a mile, I think he, he's as interesting as anyone. I've talked about Proxy many, many times. A lot of people I know are very sour on him after that Lexington. I'm throwing that race out entirely. That doesn't mean anything to me because it was a sloppy mess down there. And when you go and watch, and I've, I've talked about it on, on the pod, from a tape standpoint, John Velasquez needs to be, he's getting into this horse with the stick coming out of the first turn. He's just not, he, his head's not there. And I feel like he is a summer or four-year-old type. I, I agree. And I think the previous race we saw in Louisiana was a similar situation where he just ran in spots yeah. on the back stretch. He's climbing. Then all of a sudden he starts running again. Then he stops running. Then he starts running again. He just needs to figure it out. And some of these three-year-olds, they're just not built for the Kentucky Derby in early spring. They need to mature. And some of these horses, when they do mature, they turn out to be very good four-year-olds. You mentioned Vino Rosso. There have been many, many others. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I've kind of put the two of them together, Proxy, Vino Rosso, Proxy, and, and Mystic Guide. And I know that that's maybe ambitious, but, I mean, you see the parallels there. Both Godolphin, you see Mystic Guide was always a horse early on that we all thought had some ability and hinted at possibly being a legitimate top-level racehorse. And he never really put it together totally as a three-year-old. Give him a little bit of time. Look at what you got now. I think he's very clearly the best horse as far as the older runners are concerned that we've got going. Um, before we we pivot to, you know, button things up with a little bit of baseball chatter, is, is there anything else as far as maybe not even the Derby, but are there any other horses, Oaks, anything else that, that really is kind of kind of tickled your fancy? Because I, I'm having a hard time with the Oaks this year. I, I understand maybe Malathot is just better than everyone else, but... I'm having a hard time finding a horse or a filly that I can really sink my teeth into. And even in some of these other divisions, you know, I'm just, I'm not overwhelmed by some of the things that I've seen so far. Well, I think in some of the divisions, they just haven't come back just yet. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Harvey's little Goyle does when she comes back as a, a turf, uh, an older turf female yep. this year. Uh, I think she's very, very interesting. Um, I think in the, in the Oaks, a horse that I'm very interested in is Pauline's Pearl just looking at one of those lightly raced, well-bred horses that might be coming up to the race at the right time and might be a right price. And she had a little trouble in the honeybee when she got beat, but boy, she improved in the fantasy last time out. And I think she's slowly learning how to put horses away. And you look at her pedigree, she's by Tappet. She's out of a grade one winning half-sister to always dreaming. It just seems like a race like the Kentucky Oaks from a distance standpoint is tailor-made for her. I have nothing against Travel Column. She's very, very consistent. I have concerns about her at a mile and an eighth. I would have gone all in on Clarier if she ran a little better. And I know she was completely pace compromised in the Fairgrounds Oaks last time out. But I just didn't love the way she finished up that race. Search results, another one of those lead changes. I want to see her beat me, even though she's run some fast races coming in. Malathot's very, very good. And she's just a beast on the racetrack to look at. And you're right. Maybe she's simply too good for this field. But I'm interested in Pauline's Pearl. Her 89 buyer equals Malathot's 89 buyer. She earned in the Ashland. You know, I, I, I still am trying to convince myself. And, and granted, this will be the race that I, I really will be trying to grind over to find something. I still want to believe in Milfoy. But I, I, I'm just not. I don't know how many excuses or how many reasons can I give for her not getting the job done, especially in the Gulfstream Oaks, because I, I get it. You know, the, the Philly that beat her is a talented runner. I, I, 
I don't know. I just I, I would have hoped that we had a bigger step forward in that race than we did. I thought she ran really, really well in the Demoiselle. She got ran down by Malathot. Fine. It was only her third starter first time around. Two turns, she caught a wet track. I bet her with enthusiasm despite the layoff in the Devona Dale, and I realized she ran right up into a box on the turn, and that eliminated her, but she didn't run after that, and that bothered me greatly. In the Gulfstream Oaks, she just has to win that race. If she can't win a 79 buyer speed figure race, it makes me very concerned when you're facing four or five that we know can run a lot faster. Now, all of a sudden, if it rains, you move sure. her up because her best races come on a wet track. And it is Bill Mott going third off the layoff with a beautifully bred horse. I think there's something here. I wonder where eventually it's going to land up. Maybe she'll end up being an Antoinette type yeah. that she'll show up on the turf and she'll do some good things there. Um, but boy, she's been disappointing this year. Yeah. And that's the best way. The only way you really can put it is she's been disappointing. I've, I've expected, cause I did, I loved her as a two year old. I thought she was really good. And I agree with you. I thought that Demoiselle, despite not getting the job done, it really didn't bother me. I thought it was a fine effort and I, you know, she just hasn't quite, put it together here as a three-year-old and, and who knows maybe i'll you know go full-blown definition of insanity and try to run it back with her next friday but we'll, we'll find out in time uh before i let you go we have to at least acknowledge the fact that uh yankee baseball yeah. not great uh boston red sox baseball uh, after all my no. friends and family losing their minds after an own three start all they did was rattle off nine in a row um and now they're i last checked they were drubbing the chicago white Sox on patriots day here um let's start yeah. let's start with your team um, I, over under, over under two weeks until Aaron Boone's fired. No, no, no. Aaron Boone will make it to the end of the year before he's fired. Okay. Hopefully healthy. Uh, hopefully yes. healthy. I'm, I'm very concerned about Aaron Boone's health. He's beginning to look like Joe Girardi did during the end of days with the Yankees, where he looked like the crypt keeper. And uh, Joe Girardi's after a year off, mm -hmm. uh, and he was in the booth. He looked 30 years younger. And yep. now with the Phillies bullpen of 2020, he looked like the crypt keeper again. <laughs> uh, maybe it's a sign he shouldn't be managing in the yeah. major leagues. The Yankees, I was very bearish on the Yankees. You called when it. We, you called when it a we few talk, weeks when ago. When we talked about this, uh, last time I was on, you gave me some ridiculous over-under on the Yankees. Like they're going to win. like 96 95. games, something like and that. I, yeah. and, I, and I guffawed, <laughs> which is a great word. Because when you look at this Yankee team, it's very poorly put together. Yeah. You look at the historic Yankee teams, they have left-handed bats to take advantage of the right field porch in Yankee Stadium. And whether it's Ruth or whether it's Gehrig in the 20s and the 30s, or whether it's Berra and whether it's the switch hitting Mantle in the 50s, and then you get a guy named Roger Maris who's a left-handed power hitter, and then you go to the 70s and there's Reggie Jackson and Greg Nettles and Craig Chambliss, and then you go to the 90s and you have Don Mattingly and Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill and Hideki Matsui and a switch hitter in uh, Jorge Posada and Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams you, yeah. see, you see a trend, don't you, yeah. here? Yeah. The Yankees this year came into the season with no left-handed hitting, uh, except for Aaron Hicks was the only left-handed hitter. And he's a switch hitter. Yeah. They had an opportunity to get Jock Peterson or Eddie Rosario, who I think are useful players that could spell Quint Frazier and at least maybe play. They decided, no, we want Jay Bruce. Jock, your son, by the way. Huh? Jock, Jock is your my son, son, by the yeah. way, starting off very slowly with the Cubs, but he'll get there. Um, they got Jay Bruce, happy retirement, Jay sure. Bruce. 
They got Rudned Odor, who strikes out more, the only player in baseball with a higher strikeout percentage than Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, they got Rudned Odor. So right now their lefty bats are Brett Gardner, nice little Yankee career, basically at the autumn and winter of his career. Yeah. Got a guy that the Yankees refused to play, who is not an all-star, but Mike Tockman, if he plays, he can get on base. He has a good OBP, walks. He can steal. He can play defense. And I think we need to see him in the lineup doing something. The Yankees will rise and fall this year on Glaber Torres' back. We know he has the potential to be on the cusp of being a superstar and having an MVP-like year. Uh, he has not shown it this year in the field or at the bat. Uh, we have a long way to go with Glaber Torres. Uh, I think if he hits, the Yankees improve. But the Yankees, again, from a pitching standpoint, instead of Tanaka, a proven commodity, they went with Kluber and Tyon, two guys that have had arm problems. And I don't know if they'll ever go five ever again, let alone seven innings. Uh, the Yankees are in trouble right now. Uh, the Red Sox have two of the best hitters in baseball and J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts. Uh, I think they have a nice little supporting cast as well. I like Bobby Dahlbeck as a player. You have Rafael Devers. I actually think one of your better bench players is Frenchie Cordero, who I know right now is in a very big slump. I think he's won for his last 11 with several strikeouts. But I like what I've seen from him at the plate uh, with his approach. And I think he could spell some people in left field. Uh, again, I predicted at the beginning of this year and was laughed at when I said tied for third with Boston did don't make the playoffs. Wow. That's, I mean, look, it, it's, it's early, but that's not, oh, that's, yeah. that's not, that doesn't seem totally out of the realm of possibility at this haven't point. Haven't they just, haven't they just been outclassed? Isn't that a yeah. word you would use yeah. against Tampa Bay that they're completely outclassed on the field? I mean, we talk about it with the horses. I mean, you, you see certain horses that yes, buyer to buyer, you stack up well, but it, you haven't been taking on you know equal company they're also from a fan standpoint one of the least exciting teams to watch because this is not a team that rallies walk double single stolen base sacrifice fly single walk this is a team that will win four to two on two home runs where the fans sit like this and they wait for the big bomb oh there it is that's great that's great there's 10 outs in a row seven of them strikeouts and it's, it's just not a team that's exciting to watch. It's not a team that's built for rallies. There are no left-handed bats. The pitching is suspect. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, in my opinion, Matt, uh, are a team that's falling under the radar. Their relief pitching right now is reminiscent of the 2020 Bills. Alex Colome is not the answer. But if they do find that arm out of the bullpen, they've got the starting pitching and they've got the team, I think, maybe to go all the way here. I'll tell you what, your your other son, J.D. Martinez, you know, fellow uh, Nova Southeastern graduate. Yes. Second uh, most famous correct. Nova Southeastern graduate. He uh, very clearly, he all but admitted to taking last year off. So I think it was a little bit premature for everyone to just write him off and say that he couldn't do it anymore. Obviously, he's come back with vengeance. Um, I, I think the other thing that's interesting, you brought up Franchi Cordero. A lot of the local people have compared him to a slightly better Willie Mopena for anybody. That's a little bit of a way back machine because he's built oh, yeah. like the like the Incredible Hulk. Oh I mean, no! Oh, he's he's a he's a massive, just like muscle bound guy who he hits towering home runs when he gets a hold of it. And to your point, I think he's I think he is good at the role that he's fitting right now. 
he needs to be placed in that part-time role. When I first saw him with some of his other teams, he swung at everything. Now, even though he has struck out a lot recently, I think his plate discipline is a lot better, and that's what I've been more impressed with. Let the pitch come to him, and he can hit it out. And getting back to J.D., when you watch J.D. again at the plate, and we've talked about this many times, J.D. is a man who I think his life is scheduled. I think he gets up at 6.48 a.m. every morning, and then he takes seven practice swings, and he has to have them just right. Because when you see when he goes to the bat, just watch, he has to do his... Yeah at least 15 times before he gets up and his bat has to be held the perfect way. So last year when there's a spring camp and a summer camp and days off and all this stuff, it must have drove him insane. You give him a regular schedule and you know what J.D.'s going to do. He's going to hit 330. He's going to hit 30 homers. He's going to hit 100 RBIs. He, can he field? No. Can he run? No. But he can hit. But yeah. he can hit. And for a, a guy like John Carlos Stanton, yeah. That we have on our team will occasionally hit a home run. Yeah. I'd rather have JD, who it's 200 points higher. Yeah, I mean, so to your point, uh, looking at the, the box score so far today, another home run for JD. Well, it's uh, not. You know, no surprise there. He's two for four. The average now is is moved up slightly to 373. Um, that's, that's, that's about right. Uh, Franchi, two for three today with a couple of RBIs. Um, know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I got Frenchy. Not the only guy in America that knows Frenchy outside of Boston. The last thing I'll le- I'll leave let's we'll leave with this. Yes, we've talked about how ba- a baseball manager is basically like a babysitter, right? Yes. you're not actually you know X's and O's and all that kind of stuff. That that that's that's from the past. The only thing I'll say is this team is not dramatically different than the one they had last year. Yes, they made some some interesting acquisitions, and they look, they, so far they've been playing out quite well. The, the big change is Alex Cora's back. And I, I, I'm very reluctant to sit here and say that the reason they're off to the start they are is because of the manager. But, I, I mean, again, we're not talking about a, a massively different lineup and roster this year than what they had last year. And they never did any of this last year. I think another uh, factor is that they've come into spring training with nothing to lose. Yeah. I don't think anyone expected them to do anything. I think even the local press in Boston, and you would know this way more than me, had zero expectations and zero hopes. And I think with no pressure on their shoulders, they're going out there and they're just playing ball. Yeah. And they're having fun. And whatever happens, happens. And I think Alex Gore is the perfect kind of manager for that, where he's like, listen, guys, no one expects us. Let's go out there and show them what we can do. The Yankees are a team feeling pressure. Toronto, we'll see how they handle the pressure in the dog days of summer. And the same with Tampa Bay, especially if injuries get in the way. Boston right now, no pressure. They're having fun. And hey, they're winning games. I hold my breath every time Evaldi goes out there that the elbow is not going to blow up. But uh, another another good pro- performance here today. I mean, he's gone six and given up three earned, struck out nine. He's only thrown 88 pitches, which is another thing for Rivaldi, you know, keep that pitch count down. But if they can somehow band-aid this thing together, and I don't have any real expectation for when he does come back, but I mean, you want to talk about when we get to sort of trade deadline season, the biggest acquisition they'll have will be Chris Sale. I, you know, I, I would actually, I wouldn't mind them bringing him in sort of as a bullpen guy to start off, but that's a story for, for months from now. We'll see. This thing could be down in flames by the time we get to that point. But until oh, then. Any, listen, it's very early. Anything could happen again. I think that the Red Sox and the Yankees might end up in a in a rivalry 
for third in the American League East this year if nothing changes from a Yankee standpoint. Hey, that would be, I look, I would sign up for that based on last year. I would <laughs> sign up for any kind of a rivalry over the next few months. So, uh, Dan Illman from the Daily Racing Forum, thanks again for everything. Uh, you guys can check out all of Illman and Beer's content on the Racing Forum's YouTube channel. Daily yes, Racing sir. Forum, you can find all that stuff over there. Those two, among others, uh, contributing. Um, Laurel is off again this week, right? Laurel is off, but Pimlico is open. Laurel has been having so many problems with, uh, you know, they had the virus uh, first, which knocked out the quarantine situation. Then the main track at Laurel has just been unusable now for the last few days. We've had problems there. So I have to give them credit. They've wisely, you know, begun the Pimlico Spring Preakness meet early. They're going to run Thursday. They got 10 on Thursday. They got 11 on Friday. They got a big stakes day with the Tessio on Saturday. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, The racing is going to start getting better, especially when we eventually get to the turf. Keep an eye on all of the Maryland action. Illman is also the analyst for the Maryland circuit, Laurel and Pimlico. And we're getting closer and closer to the Preakness, just about a month's, oh, month's time away from now. So, Illman, always appreciate the time. Hopefully have you back on uh, in a few weeks' time. Hey, it's always a pleasure talking to you, buddy. All right, bud. Thank you again to DRF's Dan Illman for hopping aboard and chopping some things up. And hopefully we can circle back and and talk with him maybe before, I don't know, before the Belmont or just after the Triple Crown's over, something like that, just to get his opinions. Because again, I think he's as good as there is in the entire industry. Uh, Those of you who have been listening via your podcasts or however you listen to your podcast, thank you for doing so. Those of you who watch on YouTube, thank you for doing so. Uh, Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, you name it. You can find it out there. If you're over on YouTube, search bar Matt Burner, your show, you get this episode along with the 61 prior. However you listen, please rate, review, and subscribe. Questions, comments, concerns beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Burner underscore Matt. Last thing I will say is, again, and I know this is at the end of the show, so those of you who didn't stick it out, I'm hopeful that we're going to get some some feedback and some folks who want to put in some submissions. But if you want to be involved in the Derby pod for next week, I need your 60 to 90 second clip with your most likely winner, a value play and a long shot by 2 or 2.30 this afternoon, or excuse me, the afternoon this coming Friday. Because I'm going to have to give time to producer Craig to throw it together. And if for whatever reason we don't get a great turnout, then I'll figure something else out for next week. It would probably be a very, very tight show. But again, uh, I would encourage that. And I'll put that out on social media and whatnot. You got to email bernier.matt89 at gmail.com if you want to be incorporated into that. Very similar to what we did with the Breeders' Cup show. So that's that. Uh, Until next week. And again, next week is the Derby show. Hopefully all of you are involved. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 62 of the Matt Bernier Show.